0: Everybody, welcome to the Polymouth Project. Yesterday was May twentieth, twenty twenty, and I interviewed a good old dear friend of mine by the name of Miguel Rosell. Miguel is an eternal seeker and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He has explored and continues to explore many different paths of consciousness, spirituality, self-knowledge with a very uh, practical approach. He has integrated a number of these practices and disciplines from his own path into a teaching practice, a therapy practice where he helps others with their healing journeys. One of the controversial areas uh, that Miguel has begun exploring, which he will speak about, is sacred plants and psychedelics. As we know, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot more, not only usage, but research from the scientific and medical communities that was very promising. Now it got shut down for about 30 years, but recently in the past 10 years, it's been back on. So Miguel talks about this research, where it stands, and as well as his own personal journey, uh, integrating sacred plants and psychedelics into his other types of meditation and spiritual practice. It's a fascinating conversation and I hope that you enjoy it and watch it with as open a mind as possible. Miguel Rosell, welcome to the Polymath Project. It's great to have you brother.
1: Hey Armand, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much.
0: We've known each other as we discussed quite some time now and as two seekers of light, of truth, um, I've personally always come to respect your approach and curiosity and process. I know you've been through so many different types of uh, work and seeking and um, can you briefly in your introduction talk about your journey in its varied forms and where it leads you to Today:
1: Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, it would be a pleasure and a privilege uh, to share with you and your audience. Um, wow, well, um, it's uh, just turned 50 earlier this year, but in terms of my uh, consciousness journey, my, my journey of self-knowledge, uh, entering my 17th year of, uh, of deep introspection um, back in: Happy uh,
0: birthday, by the way. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. Um, back in 2003, uh, I was 33 years old and basically just hit the proverbial wall, uh, felt a deep sense of unhappiness, uh, sorrow, uh, just a, a deep sense of, being lost and not knowing what my purpose in life was. Uh, I had been working in the restaurant industry in New York uh, as a chef. Uh, uh, I had had the, the incredible fortune of working under some of the best chefs in, in New York and, and training. And you uh, know, it was an incredible experience, but also a very, very difficult life, a life that uh, is very imbalanced and, just got to the point where I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And one day I literally uh,
0: uh, was working at a, at, a,
1: at a restaurant that we had just opened. It was a high profile place. Uh, the pressure was, was incredible. We were working like six days a week, 14, 15 hours a day. I was just completely spent. And one morning I just woke up and I decided to buy a one-way ticket to, uh, to Sydney, Australia. And I was, just, I was just gonna fly the coop um, and something inside me basically just said, it's time for a change. And, um, lo and behold, one of the most powerful synchronicities that I've ever experienced that same day, I, I purchased the one-way ticket online in the morning. I went to work and that same night, a prominent chef from Australia who has, uh, who had one of the best restaurants in Sydney came in to eat at the restaurant. Uh, and I was obviously blown away. I, I definitely took it as a sign. Um, long story short, we ended up talking after his dinner. He came back the next day and actually offered to sponsor me to to uh, immigrate to Australia legally. Uh, and again, I took that as this incredible sign. I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this, but uh, long story short, I ended up selling all of my material possessions um, and... I get to Australia thinking that this is just going to be the adventure of a lifetime. And when I got there, I realized that, wait a minute, I don't wanna cook anymore. And I basically told the chef, I'm so sorry, but I just need to spend some time traveling around. So I I ended up taking two months and just traveling around the country and meeting people and exploring. And there was uh, this incredible sense of freedom liberation but there's you know there's only there's only so much you can do that and and at the end of the two months I started realizing that uh, I had moved to the other side of the world but there I was with all my unresolved issues and 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 sorrows and uh, lack of self-knowledge and uh, I realized that I was running the long and the short of it was that I was essentially running away and so I ended up coming back back to New York um, and shortly thereafter is when I began the process of, of looking at my life, of examining my life um, and uh, just started taking steps.
0: That's beautiful. So 17 years later and now you I know you're out on the West Coast and um, tell us about your current practice uh, in brief, uh, what you offer to the clientele that you work with.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'd love to share that. So, uh, just backtracking a little bit. Um, when I came back and I started my work, um, uh, I, uh, I started working with a teacher, uh, who, uh, offered bioenergenic counseling, uh, Ron Baker, which I know you're, you're familiar with him as well. And, um, That was the crux of my work. And uh, through this process of learning about myself and understanding my own particular uh, patterns, limiting patterns of behavior, uh, understanding uh, the gaps in my own upbringing, I realized that this was such a powerful, powerful path that I ended up training with Ron And that's actually what I offer. So the the work that I do, which I I describe as guided core integration, is a derivative of bioenergetics. It's basically uh, an approach where you go back into your early years and you understand what your particular needs were. Basically, all of us, when we come into the world, in order to become a fully developed and empowered emotional adult by the time that we're 18, we need to go through several stages of emotional development. So again, by the time you're 17 or 18, we have the physical body of an adult, but very few of us have a corresponding adult emotional body. And that's because we live in a world that has very primitive emotional education. And so understanding what our specific needs are during these stages is vital to this process. So essentially what I do with my clients is I take them through this process, which is essentially a way of reparenting your own nervous system and your own emotional body, Mm. going back, understanding what specific needs weren't met Simultaneously, understanding the different defenses or strategies, if you will, that we develop to cope and compensate for the fact that our needs weren't met. If I could, if I could elaborate a little bit on sure. That. Um, when we have those gaps, when our specific needs aren't met, our uh, emotional needs, we develop different strategies to cope with the fact that our needs weren't met. Simultaneously, one of the primary needs when we're, when we're young is that we needed our moms and dads to help us, to teach us how to regulate our own emotional bodies. That's not something that we are born with innately. It's something that we need to go through a process of co-regulation. And essentially we need mom and dad to acknowledge, validate, accept all of our feelings with compassion. When that's there, we can land in the safety that knowing that all of our feelings are sacred vital parts of ourselves and that It's the most natural thing to have all of our feelings, to be able to express our feelings. Unfortunately, that's rarely the case because it's this vicious cycle. Again, living in a world that has very primitive emotional education, many of our moms and dads don't have that capacity. So we end up having to develop these defenses or strategies that allow us to cope and compensate and essentially allow us to get through our childhoods. The problem is that once we grow up, we bring these patterns and defenses with us into our adult lives. And all of them have these hidden agendas and mechanisms Mm -hmm. that essentially run on autopilot. Does does all of that make sense conception? Yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, you know, we're we're developing this kind of um, ego, this armor, and and it's, like you said, it has its own mechanism and, kind of block something, it prevents certain aspect of, of um, a deeper connection from, from coming through. Um, and it's hard, to, it's hard to even know when we have that, um, which is why I think the service you're doing for, for people and I know you've been through the process and, and each of us and, and even as a teacher still going through the process in your own ways and I can, I can relate to that and as I said before. Um, have great respect for the uh, scientific approach, let's say that you've taken to explore anything and everything that could possibly help you and others to to work through that those mechanisms that you're discussing.
1: Yeah, and, so, that, and that, thank you for adding that, Armand. That's a really, really important point. It's that, it's that, where we, we actually we do disconnect from our authentic selves. And so we end up living our lives, essentially being ruled by these hidden forces, if you will, that basically dictate how we're going to operate. But very few of us are actually living authentic lives because we just don't, we don't feel safe. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel that we even have the right to be our authentic selves. And so we we basically just engage uh, in, in these mechanical and limiting behaviors, whether it's, you know, we're, we're looking to please other people. Um, um, we're just not being true to ourselves. And through, right. through the process of, of understanding yourself, understanding your patterns, you can begin the process of separating and releasing those limiting patterns and behaviors, and then stepping into more authentic ways of being. Right. Then the great news is that we, we live in a time now that uh, uh, we have access to so many different modalities and pathways that can essentially bring us there. That's the great news, that yeah. there's, there's no one path that has the monopoly on helping, helping us come back to our authentic selves.
0: Sure. And I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think the, the challenge that can arise there is that um, uh, one might feel overwhelmed or unsure of how to um, be as courageous as, let's say, you were to explore different, all these different modalities and then find a way to make choices or even integrate them, which I think is an integrated approach. I'm a big believer in an integrated Approach that even combines multiple modalities, I know other people are a bit more of purists, saying, you know you find what works, and each system is whole and can be whole within itself, and so sometimes mixing you know has different maybe unintended res- results um, so i I think on on that note, I'd love to delve into part of the core of our topic here, which is after all these years of work in different types of uh, call them healing. Arts and bioenergetic um, integral works, uh, where there's, as I know, and we've shared different practices um, that have helped um, you um, grow and better understand yourself, this self knowledge that you talk about um, having gained. Why is it that you, um, uh, again, I know there's the curiosity aspect and the aspect of just trying to understand other pathways what encouraged you to look into the sacred plants and um, the realm of um, holistic healing, you know, beyond just the kind of conversational and meditational work that one can do without um, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's the right language, mind altering, you know, substances, or or, I I love sacred plants. That's a great term you, you used in our prep call yesterday. So what, what kind of, brought you to that uh, place of of being open to that or starting to explore it? Sure. Well,
1: actually, uh, one of the points that you just made, uh, uh, I'm in total agreement with you. I, I personally don't feel that there is just one path and my personal experience, the different paths and modalities that I've engaged in, they've all been helpful but there hasn't been one specific path that basically has helped me to get to this place of, of, feeling complete or feeling that I'm whole and and I'm not there yet. And so um, about four years ago, uh, my wife, Michelle, um, was doing a lot of reading on on, uh, psychedelic substances, uh, entheogens, if you will, uh, sacred plants, uh, and she became very intrigued at the possibility of working with these uh, sacred su- uh, substances, if you will. I was very dubious because, again, there, there has been so much stigma associated uh, with psychedelics, and understandably so. Um, things went a bit off the rails there in the 60s, um, so she was doing a bunch of research and uh, she wanted to go out to the desert and, and have a mushroom sacred, uh, a sacred mushroom ceremony. And again, I was very hesitant, but then I started doing my own research. The only thing I knew about mushrooms uh, four years ago was that uh, you eat them, you're gonna hallucinate and you might, you might throw up. Uh, and again, that was just my own ignorance. As I started delving deeper and learning that there the potential for accessing higher realms of consciousness, for accessing parts of our own subconscious, of our of our own shadows, and, and essentially that they provided a pathway for greater self-knowledge and, and greater self-understanding. I was I was like, okay, let's let's do this. Um, and the timing was was really uh, was really great. Uh, we had uh, our beloved uh, dog Wags had recently passed away, and I was in a very very dark place. Um, you know, just the cycles of life. I was questioning again what I was doing, and so we, we went ahead and did it. We secured some some mushrooms and rented an Airbnb out in Joshua Tree. Uh, and we prepared, you know, this wasn't some sort of like haphazard, you know, let's run out into the desert and eat mushrooms and go crazy. We, uh, we set intentions. Um, we, we really made it a ritual, you know, where we, we, we held space for one another. Uh, you know, we had Sage and Palo Santo and, um, really brought that ceremonial aspect to it. And, and we practiced, this notion of set and setting which is very important when you're working with with uh, with any type of entheogen which is basically the set is your mind frame, like who you are coming to this ritual this sacrament and the setting is obviously where you're at you want to be in a very safe location it's, it's wonderful to have someone there who can watch over you if you do have bit of a difficult journey. And so we did it together. We started with with a a very light or what you would refer to as as a beginner's dose. Um, And it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. It was an opportunity to really slow down. And under the influence of this incredible plant, fungi, you're able to to perceive things, well, they do put you in what's something that's known as a non-ordinary state of consciousness. In other words, very different from how we normally are operating, normally normally experiencing the world. And it just showed me aspects of myself that I had forgotten. It had It allowed me to connect with nature in such a profound way. Again, being out in the desert, being able to go outside and Connect with the, the different plants uh, and the landscape. After that experience, it, it wiped out the depression that I had been going through for about a month uh, and essentially just did away with it. And I was just left with this feeling of, of calm and peace. And that was really the uh, that was the opening for me. That that's when I realized, hey, there's there's something here to explore. There's something here to, to go deeper and, and that this could be something of, of incredible value for, for myself mm. in terms of my own healing and, and my own uh, self-awareness.
0: That's wonderful. So, so that was four years back. And then between then and now, what what have you partaken in and, and how, how have you approached this? I know how organized you are. And as you said, ritualistic and... So what's, what's been your journey, um, in in short, you know, in kind of high, high level summary, what have you partaken in and why is it, you know, mushrooms trying different things and and what's the rationale for trying different things, maybe to open up different areas. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll work on being succinct. I know I can be a bit verbose. Um, so after that, uh, we decided to, to, uh, to have a few more uh, mushroom journeys. And again, this, this is something that we, we took very seriously and it's not something that you're, you're doing every week. This is something that would be spread out at least over a, at least a month, sometimes two months. Um, so we engaged in several mushroom journeys where it was just the two of us. Um, and then from there, I ventured out to work with ayahuasca. Now ayahuasca is, uh, is a sacred tea that comes from the Amazon, that comes from the indigenous tribes of the Amazon. Um, and it's, it's something that's it's becoming much more prevalent. I mean, it's that this, this medicine and this, this ritual has come out of the Amazon. It's actually, uh, it's being served in all different parts of the world. Um, and certainly here in Los Angeles, uh, there's a lot of underground groups working with this medicine. And so, um, I started uh, finding groups here in LA that uh, you know would just gather and, and talk about psychedelics, psychedelic research. That would offer uh, some support. And then just by making my rounds in that community, you know, you start connecting with like-minded souls. And I was able to find my way to a, uh, a local shaman uh, and a local group that, that would serve ayahuasca. And then that became my path uh, for a solid like two and a half years where I was, let's say over the period of uh, two and a half years, what is it like 30 months, I probably engaged in about uh, 22 ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm. Oh. Um, and in addition to that, uh, I, I had uh, a couple of experiences with uh, a very powerful psychedelic that comes from a toad in the Sonoran desert, the Alvarius toad. Uh, this psychedelic is, is known as 5-MEO-DMT, uh, and that's an incredibly powerful psychedelic. It's, it's actually one that uh, uh, I probably will not be doing again for a very, very long time. Um, because essentially, uh, the second time that I did it, where I, I engaged in a, in a larger dose, but essentially had a near-death experience where there was a complete dissolution of my ego and a separation from mm. my body. And essentially, you know, you hear of, of near-death experiences where you go to the light. That's exact. that's essentially what happened to me, wow. um, uh. And again, it was it was incredibly profound. But but all of these have you know deep ramifications, and um, there was definitely a period afterwards that it it really shook me up. That it ended up being an incredible blessing because it led me to do deeper work and, and, and helped me to start uncovering deeper traumas that I went through as a child that I actually had never that I had never dealt with. Mm. Uh, and then eventually, I found my way to doing uh, guided MDMA-assisted therapy sessions that, uh, on an underground uh, basis, because unfortunately, right. uh, we're still underground with, with many of these uh, substances. Yeah.
0: And, and let's, yeah, let's, well, first of all, that's, you know, very courageous, um, you know, that you've, you know, put yourself... Um, out there and, and explored i mean you're, you're you're adventuring and exploring the the frontiers of of your own you know being and, and spirit and um life experience and um yeah it's it, it could be it could be scary and i'm sure sh- I'm sure you've faced many fears in the process um, and as you're saying there are risks and we we have to take on this consideration uh, with great responsibility um absolutely. For ourselves and others and I know there's many in the industry as you've mentioned that are guides that are there to kind of help and oversee let's I want to talk about a couple of things um, so many things but um, one being <clears throat> the science you know the science and the stigma right there's obviously um, I mean the pharmaceutical industry of legal drugs and medicine is obviously huge and we're all everyone's taking something and there's something prescribed for everything and Everything also has side effects, at least in kind of the traditional Western pharmaceutical industry. A lot of herbal remedies and things of that nature, which I know you believe in, I certainly believe in, um, have these healing properties and not necessarily side effects, but some do. And everything has to be dosed correctly. So what? what, I know you're not a scientist necessarily per se, but you're you're a personal scientist. And like you said, you've got 40 plus experiences under your belt. So... I mean, both from your personal science, but also from the science you've looked at, I mean, what's what's actually happening in the scientific community with some of these alternative healing um, remedies? Do you think it's, it's to the point where, I know in the 60s and 70s, there was more active research. What's happening now that you're aware of? And where can we, you know, maybe learn a little more?
1: Sure, sure, yeah. Well, that's, that's I don't think I would have actually... Uh, jumped into this realm four years ago, if if there wasn't scientific research going on. And once I did some just initial exploration and saw that there was, there was so much research going on. See, the unfortunate thing that happened, if we could just talk about the 60s a little bit, um, when LSD was actually first synthesized back in the 40s by Albert Hoffman, um, they were actually using LSD therapeutically. They were actually, psychiatrists were actually having therapy sessions using LSD. And at the time, it was a miracle drug and the potential for it, there was so much excitement because it was, it was like, it was like what penicillin was to like regular medicine because psychiatry, with all the incredible inroads that they had made, it was still a long way to go. So in the 60s, um, very infamous uh, figure named uh, Timothy Leary, um, up at Harvard, along with uh, a fellow professor named Richard Alpert, who eventually uh, became the spiritual teacher Ram Dass. They were experimenting with mushrooms and LSD, and um, Timothy Leary sort of took it upon himself to be the spokesman for LSD. And he was really encouraging everyone to, to take LSD. Uh, and President Nixon at the time called him the most dangerous person in America. It was a very turbulent time, the Vietnam War, and you know the counterculture, um, and things went off the rails. Um, and essentially, the government shut down all research. So we lost about 30 years of research. Because here's the thing, Armand, to this day, we do not know what psychedelics are. Perhaps we, I think it's safe to assume we, we would know a hell of a lot more if research had continued for those three decades. Um, again, the great news is that over the last 20, 20 25 years, they started doing legal research again. And some of the results that are coming out now are, are incredible. Um, I can highlight a couple of, of uh, uh, research um, uh, projects that have been going on. There's, there's an incredible organization named MAPS, the multi, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, which was founded by uh, Rick Doblin. Uh, Rick Doblin knew back in the 70s the, the, the incredible healing potential of MDMA, which is what many people know is as the, you know, the, the club drug of ecstasy. Again, MDMA was something that was being used therapeutically. It was actually legal, but then, like LSD, it made it out up to the streets, became a club drug. Drug dealers started cutting it with, you know, dangerous other substances, and it became very, uh, very controversial. And MDMA was classified as a schedule one drug. In other words, it's a drug that has no medicinal value. So, uh, Mm. MAPS is a privately funded uh, nonprofit that has been doing research uh, with MDMA. And they are currently in in phase three of the clinical trials. The first two trials went exceptionally well and the FDA has continued to approve ongoing studies. And so if phase three continues to go as well as the first two, uh, the hope is that the FDA will actually reclassify MDMA uh, within the next year to two years uh, from schedule one to two or three, where it could actually be used therapeutically. And so essentially what they have found with MDMA is that uh, in, in a very, very high percentage Um, somewhere from like 65 to 75 percent of the participants in the in the different trials who were suffering from treatment resistant PTSD in other words their form of PTSD was so severe that traditional therapies psychotherapy you know uh, psychological therapies would not have a would would not have any impact And when these individuals suffering from this uh, horrible, horrible uh, affliction uh, would come into the trials and basically work with therapists, uh, my understanding is that what they would do is it would be a 10 week period where there would be uh, an application, three applications of MDMA with two therapists present. Uh, Again, this is not about just taking this drug and like, you know, getting high it's, it's, there's, there's an approach here. Uh, there's intention uh, and there's a therapeutic aspect to it with trained, uh, trained therapists. I um, know uh, the overwhelming majority of participants were actually, were no longer uh, diagnosed with PTSD. In other words, they, they were essentially cured.
0: They were healed. They were cured after yeah. that 10 week, um, three session uh, program, and as you said you know not 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 recreational or haphazard this is with with intention, with structure, with guidance um, and it's in, in 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 let's say over fifty percent of the cases curing people that you know aren't being helped by other other psychological uh, treatments or or even even medicinal even you know pharmaceutical treatments you know which which as we know, have side effects, and you have to depend on it take forever. That's, that's profound. And uh, so you, you think it's pretty close to-, to- and, and Well,
1: well, it, it's, it, it's close in the sense that they, again, they are in the, the phase phase three clinical trials and this is the final phase. Um, and the, the expectation is that this, this is going to be approved because we're living in a time now where there are so many of our fellow citizens who are suffering from PTSD. There are so many veterans because of the wars that we were involved in in both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, who are suffering from, from PTSD, um, uh, so many veterans uh, are, are committing suicide on a daily basis, and, and not just veterans. There's so many people who who have experienced severe trauma from from you know their early years, and and if I can just share um, a personal experience and uh, ter- having some personal knowledge of why why this drug is so helpful. Uh, MDMA is, is considered something that's known as an empathogen. In other words, when you take the drug, it allows you to feel deep empathy and it puts you in your body. And again, having had two experiences, having to, being able to go back into my childhood and bring forth some traumatic experiences that I went through that I was actually never able to uh, discuss in my own therapeutic uh, uh, work. Mm. I was able to revisit these traumatizing experiences and with my therapist, explore them. And through that process of putting it on the table with support with compassion, with, 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 with an understanding guy, therapist, the possibility of releasing that and letting it go is, it's, it's a real possibility. Because imagine if there's something that happened to you that was so traumatic, that you can't even talk about it in therapy, how are you gonna overcome it? It's impossible. Huh.
0: Yeah. So that's Or so, so, so deeply buried in, in your subconscious that you've literally wiped it out. You can't, you know, people can't even remember at times things from very Absolutely. early childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, well, I'm happy for you that um, you're continuing to uncover and unfold different layers and levels of, of your, um, your, your being and all these personality elements. And, and as you mentioned in your first years of spiritual work along spiritual psychological emotional work along different paths although you made tremendous progress in a lot of ways maybe built a foundation as well Um, all this did was add the sacred plants um, adding another layer another level another possibility another teacher so to speak um, amongst all the different teachers to just kind of complement and round out your work I mean do you see it that way do you see it that way more so than like well that didn't work so I had to try this
1: oh no no I mean, not at all that,
0: because I know p- in people's minds sometimes it's very black and white like well they were in this path and they moved to that path oh now they're in this and I don't believe that's the way it doesn't sound like the way you're describing your your, your journey no
1: I mean, no I, I find them quite complimentary and, and again I, I do want to stress that I am not an advocate for, for everyone running out and and doing psychedelics. First, first of all, psychedelics, uh, even as we continue on this movement, uh, towards potential legalization and and use, uh, and and for, for the use therapy for, you know, therapeutic use, um, even when we get there, and I, I really do think we are going to get there. Um, it's still not, for everyone so let me let me start by saying that uh two when i came to psychedelics it was after 13 years of of being engaged in in very intense personal inner work so i had already developed the foundation of self-knowledge and tools to be more grounded i've had clients in my own healing practice who have come to me Uh, who didn't have that foundation of doing internal work for for a period of time and decided to do psychedelics as almost like, you know, all right, I want to heal and and we're actually, I want to use the word re-traumatized because ultimately they already had trauma from their past. So um, I just wanted to preface uh, this next part by saying that, that this is something that, one must tread lightly and, and, and really exercise a lot of caution. The, the, the great Swiss uh, uh, psychotherapist, uh, Carl Jung, uh, one of my favorite quotes by him was You must be careful of unearned wisdom. And I think that there are many people who turn to psychedelics thinking that this is going to be some sort of panacea or some sort of quick fix. You know, I'm going to see God and I'm going to be enlightened. And that's not how it works. There there is no quick or shortcut to enlightenment. It's really a process. And more and more, I've learned that enlightenment is not a destination. It really is, is just this ongoing process of bringing light to our shadow, bringing light to our subconscious as we continue to delve deeper and deeper into ourselves and understand who we are, why we behave the way that we behave why do we, why do we have certain struggles and challenges in lives, whether it be, you know, uh, with, with our, our finances, whether it be interpersonal relationships, you know, with our primary partner, um, psychedelics for me are just a tool and, and a teacher. I I really feel that there, there is, there is intelligence, uh, certainly with these plants, with, with ayahuasca and with mushrooms, that there, there is, um Uh, there definitely is this knowledge that's being passed on about yourself and about, about life in general. Um, So yeah, it's not something to rush into. Uh, It's something that um, I think you have to meditate on and do, and do your own research because you could be putting yourself in harm's way and you want to be careful if you do decide to pursue this, you really need to find facilitators who, one, that are referred to you by a trusted source and that are people of integrity. And that's, that's a slippery slope because we are still living in this time of, of prohibition. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. I think that um, it's encouraging that there's science happening at an active level, whereas, as you said, we lost possibly 30 years where things could have advanced. Um, It's a different conversation for us because we're not going to have time, but the conversation about powers that be, vested interests, big business, pharmaceutical companies, you know, being involved in probably blocking that research. Um, if if the plants in nature could offer us things that, you know, aren't patentable and that could be healing agents, um, you know, there's not as much of a money-making opportunity. And uh, that's why natural holistic remedies and healing doesn't even now in this COVID era, no one's really talking about that unless you're talking to people that are naturopaths and homeopaths that can talk about ways we can build our immunity without side effects or without, you know, vaccines or all kinds of pharmaceutical medication. So I'd love to talk to you about that further at, at another time, especially as the science advances. Um, but for now it's encouraging that the science is progressing and looking promising. Um, what, uh, I know you've looked at some resources, you've shared some with me. I could pull some up on screen here, but can you address the audience at this time, Miguel, and, and offer some type of challenge um, in light of the context of our conversation, how we're looking to uh, heal ourselves and grow our self-knowledge using different tools, and particularly in light of this, this area that we're talking about, call it, uh, quote-unquote, controversial, I guess, and I, understandably so, um, but what kind of challenge could you put out for the audience today?
1: Well, certainly, um, if for those for the, for the audience members who um, feel intrigued or called to potentially explore working with with uh, sacred plants or entheogens, um, again, m- my challenge would be to do your own research, and it doesn't have to be. It could be a simple step watching a documentary. And I believe I've shared a couple of links with you of some recent documentaries that, that, uh, uh, that were released that are, are wonderful, wonderful uh, starting points. Uh, there's actually one, uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. That's actually, I believe, from 2011. Uh, but that has many of the, the big players uh, uh, in the psychedelic medicine community, uh, some of the researchers who are, are, are very active today. Uh, that's that's a, a great a great starting point and that's something that can be watched on YouTube um, uh, There's also um, uh, a, a, There's a documentary called Fantastic Fungi which just isn't about psychedelics. It's actually about the the the, the miracle world of fungi and, and mushrooms and uh, yeah, There's so much to, to be learned about uh, fungi, but within it they actually do, do talk about uh, Psychedelic mushrooms, the the psilocybin mushrooms, and uh, they talk about uh, the the incredible healing potential uh, of those uh, of those sacred mushrooms. Um, So it could be it could be something as simple as uh, reading uh, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan, the the New York Times bestselling author, who was known for known as a food writer, uh, decided to uh, explore the realm of psychedelics, and he actually threw himself into this world and, and experience uh, because he's a very, uh, he, he needs to write based on his own experience. So he, he had a bunch of different psychedelic journeys and uh, wrote a really powerful book. Um, so that's, that could also be a really great starting point.
0: Okay, great. I think that's, uh, that's a great challenge for uh, anyone out there, including myself, you've shared a lot of information um, you know, with me over time and, and now we have these um, links, both you know, if you enjoy watching a movie or reading a book, whatever your format is. But I think this research for me is something I definitely want to look into. Whatever of that research on maps, I believe, uh, if it's available or even the Hef- Hefter research, um, I'm personally planning to look deeper into that and um, and share more of whatever my findings are from that. Now, Miguel, just to to end off here and round out and really get us back to the introduction to yourself, all these multiple modes of, as you said, tools and teachers that you've been able to follow and learn from and integrate, I know that you offer that wisdom to others in in the form of your own uh, therapy practice. Uh, Can you tell us how people that are interested could could find you and, and reach out to you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I believe I've shared a link to my website, uh, Um, and I, I basically see uh, clients in person from my home in Long Beach. I, I work with individuals and couples uh, sharing the, the different paths and modalities that I've trained in, uh, but and I also offer sessions online uh, via Zoom, and so uh, just reaching out to me. Uh, there's, there's a link Uh, There's a contact link in my website uh, so you can reach out directly.
0: That's great. That's great. So uh, in, as you said, in Long Beach, you see people there as well as uh, remotely, virtually, which is especially useful at this, at this trying time with people uh, not, not as able to get out and about. Hopefully that'll, that'll open up uh, more soon. Um, But Miguel really, appreciate you taking the time and sharing uh, your your wisdom, your experience um, personally, not just theoretically. Uh, as you mentioned about the author, uh, was it pollen there. Um, similarly, your approach has been very hands-on and um, learned by doing and, and then sharing. So I appreciate you coming on and, and doing that. And as this research progresses, both your own personal research as well as working with others directly, as well as the scientific research. I'd love to revisit with you, uh, maybe you know, in three or six months and see what else you've, you've learned from your journey. I'd love to, Armand.
1: And I'm so grateful to you for uh, including me in, in your passion project. Uh, uh, so honored and privileged to, to be able to be on here with you and, uh, and, and share a little bit about my experiences. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome, see you soon.
1: All right, brother. Take care.